What's going on? I can hear them. Really, dude? Do we really need a sacrifice? And do we need sacrificers? Do we really need priests? The short answer is yes. Hello and welcome to Why Are We Talking About Rabbits? That's this podcast aimed at folks like you. Maybe, maybe you are not feeling a sense of dislocation. If you're not after last week, well, then you really should go listen to, I don't know, McDonald's commercials. Because last week was wild. What was going on? Those were not quickly reproduced media memes. That was something a little deeper last week. But today we're going to, on this show, on this pod, we're going to talk about a heavy thing. We're going to do it lightly. We're going to wind in some culture and we're going to talk about priests. What is a priest? What's a priestess? And we're going to do these things using theology, history, philosophy, and years of deeply immersive experiences in foreign cultures to figure it out. So yeah, welcome to Watar. Why are we talking about rabbits? This is episode 30. This is priests, priestesses, and the protesters. So what did you guys see as people bum-rushed the Capitol? Yeah, the end of something or the beginning of something? I kept thinking that something's weird because there were like eight cops there. What was that about? And the other thing was, it was it sedition? That's an interesting question. That is also a future podcast. Because our president, he wasn't exactly playing down the idea of going to the Capitol and doing that stuff. On the other hand, the mainstream media, whatever that is, I just like to call it Don Lemon. There's a lot of crying on CNN. Maybe they're crying for the right reasons on this occasion. I don't really think so, but maybe. I mean, if they were there to kill people, that was a pretty lame group of killers. Lord. On the other hand, if this had been a speech given by Obama with people running at the Capitol shortly thereafter, what do you think's Fox News commentators would be saying about that particular president, let's call him Obama, or just call him Jim Smith. That president would, uh, let's just put it this way, he'd be lining up for the gallows in that world. It's a mess. And that's why I want to talk about priests. For real. It seems... That before this world that we're in right now, there was something called 2018. A long time ago, given COVID and anarchy. Yeah, and it appears that 2018 was the year the internet decided to tell the world that priestesses were everywhere. And that the fastest growing religion in the new world, the Western world, was, in fact, paganism. Yeah, there's articles. All over the place. It's weird when I was doing my research. In Iceland, the Norse religion called Asatru officially became the second most populous faith there and the fastest growing league. 
in Iceland. Lig here, of course, is what we call religion, which I like to call a, a, a religion being something more like a ligament or a series of ligaments in your mind or your soul that hold your worldview together. And everybody's religious. Well, the lig in Iceland that seems to be making a move to the top is Asatru. Another article from 2018 in the Christian Post, whether rightly or wrongly proclaimed that there are now more Wiccan practitioners in the United States than Presbyterians. Ouch. John Calvin. He just sat up in his grave. Even the New York Times and Ross Dutat. I guess who's their conservative, I don't know. He proclaimed that maybe there actually is a genuinely post-Christian future for America, unquote. As COVID case-demic ravages on, it does seem important to ask a question, however. What are all of us doing behind our masks, behind our media machines, What are we doing behind our masks to make sense of all this bad news? What are we doing behind our closed doors, watching television, thinking about COVID to allay the profound fears and curiosities that come with all of this? And that brings me to the notion of priests. What is a priest? And why is it that if we go back in time to the old world, that's on this show we shoot, we just say 1650. I mean, I'm not a moron. I I, I get that's not really how it works, but it gives you something to frame this whole conversation by. Or you can go and take our lightometer exam from episode five and find out just how old or new world you are. But if you go back before, say, 1650, back into the old world, the world before the Enlightenment, nearly every religious, every lig, right, every religious leader we could find would be called, on some level, a priest. What is a priest, then? Where have they all gone? What does it tell us about this explosion of the idea of priests and priestesses in the new world at this time, in the 2000s. What does it tell us? I think the quick answer is this. At least the quick answer I want to tell you is this. We dried out. Yeah, we dried out. We've gotten all desiccated inside. A little dehydrated And to figure out what I mean, let's take a look at what a priest of the old world might have been to the people who surrounded him or her. In Rome, priests and priestesses managed the public and the private sacrificial spaces. They managed the temples and the homes where men and women went to give offerings to their gods. Sometimes, Greek and Roman priests, and by the way, this is important, there really isn't a word priestess. That's not really a word in history. That word is mostly a reaction against the ordination of women priests in medieval Christianity. Priest is a priest. You can say priestess if you want, I guess. But sometimes Greek and Roman priests offered blood sacrifices. Sometimes they offered 
incense. Sometimes they offered precious metals. Sometimes they offered time or the work of their hands. Once when I was in Haiti, which is a very weird mix of old and new, this is in the early 2000s, I witnessed a most extraordinary voodoo service where they fell a bull. Yeah. Like cut a big bull's neck with a machete and ba-damn, that thing fell. And it was done by a priest as a sacrifice to the goddess Urzuli, the goddess of love. And it was really interesting because it was done on behalf of a woman, a, a kind of a, I think she was a, an elite member of Haitian society who had been scorned by her husband. And she was asking Erzuli to get him back for her. And her method was a very bloody sacrifice. This is very much how it looked in Rome, too. You can see it in other places, all across Central America and the Caribbean. Chickens get sacrificed by priests on behalf of believers. In West Africa, for Ramadan, I was asked to be the honorary sacrificer-in-chief. I was. I was given a sharp knife and asked to cut the throat of a goat. The goat, before... I was asked to do this particular deed. Well, he was held hard to the ground, sort of like knelt on, and his head was turned toward Mecca. And well, it was sacrificed. And I was the priest in the sense that I did the thing. I cut its throat. And now I just lost like half of the people who tune in. But I was being asked by the people of the village, by the imam himself, who was really the sacrificer in this case. I was being honored. I guess I could have flipped them off. Like, nah, I'm good. Yep, not doing that to your goat, which is just a goat. You're just doing a goat. You're killing a goat, man. You should do what we do and just hit it in the head with a really powerful bolt that comes out of a machine that they don't see coming. Don't actually hold it and have to kill it yourself. See what I'm doing there? I did it. And forgive me if you're mad about that, but I did it. And then we ate it. It was interesting. I played the role of the priest. And in some ways, that was intense. And I felt a power in that. That... It helps to inform me about this thing we call priest. And what about the Christians? You know, every Sunday, there's a sacrifice on the altar. Well, most Christians these days have an altar. I should say some. (laughs) Ah, that's a good question. Anyway, there's a sacrifice on the altar. In fact, that's one reason why churches right now during COVID are suing local governments. I know this is happening out in Seattle and all kinds of other places. These churches, both Orthodox and Catholic, but even others, right? These churches that have been totally shut down in certain states, these churches are suing because you can't have church without the altar. You don't just whip an altar into shape like in your living room. It has to be consecrated. There's other stuff going on. So when you shut down a church, you're actually shutting down the process of the bloodless sacrifice, which is kind of important 
for the people who practice that particular faith, in my case, it's Orthodox Christianity, the Catholics do the same-ish, right? Where there's an altar, you can't just abandon it in these traditions. Hmm. They must be open in order to complete the sacrifice that is at the center of the liturgy. You can't really do it on Zoom. Do it, though, is not cutting off a goat's head, or at least its major artery. So what's going on here? What is the sacrifice thing? And for so many in the new world, why is it even still a thing? I can hear new worlders. I can hear Uncle Seth saying, yeah, why is it still a thing that you do sacrifices? And what's going on? I can hear them, really, dude? Do we really need a sacrifice? And do we need sacrificers? Do we really need priests? The short answer is yes. The old world religions, the ligs, that way of seeing the world, it nearly always involved a priest because nearly all of those ligs involved a portal or a window. It involved a passageway. Those legs of the past, those ways of seeing the world. And that window or that portal was always into the divine world. But of course, a window into the divine world is also a window into our world. For nearly all of these legs, old world ways of seeing the world, there was a place where the magisterial and the divine met the mundane and the profane. There was always a space and time in and around us, humans, above us, humans, and in us that met something different, something else, something otherworldly, something divine. And it was in that space that the priest stood. It was what a priest was. A window way of sorts, through which and by which one world met the other. And what was the sacrifice? What's the point of it? Well, that was the way to offer to the gods a portion of our bounty, a portion of our gift as thanks, as gratitude, or as forgiveness, or as a way to keep things level, like in Babylon. All of Hammurabi's codes, they're all aimed, and there's lots of them. He was an old Babylonian king, Hammurabi, well, the, one of the most important, who wrote all these codes, a law code, and basically all of his codes were aimed at keeping his world, the Babylonian world, level. Because when something was unjust, it got the world out of whack. So the priest was always trying to offer sacrifice to keep it level. For many old world legs, that offering at the altar was an appeasement, a way to satisfy the awe-inspiring power of the gods. But there was something else in all of this pre-Christian or really pre-monotheism. There was something in those sacrifices. There was a scapegoating power. I call it, like, I think of it as a power of burial, a way to take all the wrong stuff of a particular 
cult or a culture. All the stuff going on, like, say, the protests, the incitements on all sides, to take all that anger and all that dishonesty and to put it on the scapegoat and then bury it all away forever or burn it all away. There was this thing going on with a lot of these old, old world legs, these ancient legs, where an innocent creature had to suffer in order to expatiate the wrongdoing. The scapegoat. Yeah, that happened too. That was another reason for sacrifice. That was a reason for old world sacrifice. You can see it in the ancient Yom Kippur services, with the sacrifice of Azazel the goat that was burdened with all the sins of the Jewish people before being expelled from the community and sent to die. The Hittites, basically, this is very, very long ago Syrians, same spot in the world, they did this too. To give them good fortune, their culture, before a dangerous deity, they would adorn a woman and then pair the woman with a goat And then as a team, the woman and the goat, they would load them with food and gold and good things. And then the army would chase the woman and the goat out into the wilderness where they would likely eventually die. They were scapegoats. Of course, you can see this with the ancient Mayan human sacrifices as well to the sun gods at Chichen Itza. Those chosen to be sacrificed, they were, in this case, human sacrificing, they were heralded and given honor before being, well, beheaded or worse. You see this type of sacrifice, not always, by the way, to the death. I mean, there was, there's foreskin sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. That's a sacrifice. There's earlobe sacrifices, and, and there's all kinds of sacrifices. These sacrifices, they're a hallmark of ancient society. And then, in history, about 2,000 years ago, the scapegoat was the god. And that's nutty. But before we talk about that, Andrew, cue the music. It's time to hear from today's Watar sponsor. This show is sponsored by JSJ Consulting. JSJ is a three-member team of experienced teachers and actors. One... South Asian. One of this team is a white man and one is a black man. These three folks, well, they offer their services. I'm one of them to businesses and schools by offering consulting on race and the old and new world notions of identity. JSJ is dedicated to uniting Americans using customized seminars that take our clients beyond superficial conversations about race and the workplace. What we do is try to figure out what's driving today's differences by looking at today's theories on race and then sharing them with people in the workplace or at schools, and we try to help people see clearly. We engineer creative conversational space using humor, relevant real-world experiences, music, history, and classical philosophy. Our goal is to get white, black, and brown folks to speak their minds and share their humanity. We try to get people to keep it real. So if you need some important work done on this topic in your workplace, at your school, if you're an administrator or a leader, if you need to educate your business, yeah, 
on notions of race, which all of us do. Think about giving JSJ a call. You'll find us in the pod notes. And now, back to the pod. So before the ad, I was talking about scapegoats and earlobes and Azezel. And I said there was this super important moment in history when the scapegoat was God. And that, of course, is Christianity. Yeah, it got weird. The scapegoat, the innocent one that had to die now, became the creator, right? Himself. And perhaps the most bizarre and unique and mysterious and fundamentally revolutionary moments in time, God became the sacrifice. And the one to whom his creatures offered the sacrifice. Wait a minute. God is the sacrifice and God is being offered as the sacrifice back to God? That's correct. The sacrifice was God, and it was for God, and it was for us. That's the Christian concept. Things got turned upside down. It's a revolution. It was, and it is. Yeah, this is a change from pre-Christian legs. It's not the same way they understood their sacrifices. And guess what happened as Christianity took its place in the Greco-Roman world? The blood sacrifices stopped. There wasn't a need for them anymore where Christianity was practiced, but there was still a need for the priest, the one who stood at the altar and offered the bloodless sacrifice. Someone had to do that. In some ways, the early Christian, the ancient Christian, the Orthodox Christian, priest is really just a practitioner of sacrifice. Yeah, someone had to do it. And for the Christians, using the example of the Jews and their priestly class, the Levites, the Christian priesthood took form. Offering God to the world was their job. But then a very unique group of Christians began to think of themselves as no longer in need of a priest. These Christians were You know, in the past, in the show, we've called them Protestants, for lack of a better word. Well, they began to see themselves as priests. Like all of them, all of them at the same time. They use the term the priesthood of all believers, which is a thing for sure. It's biblical. But for Protestants, yeah, whose movement was taking flight just as a lig and right just before the birth of the New World, right during the Enlightenment, 16th and 17th century, this Protestant movement, well, individuals could be priests for and by themselves. And it's not by chance that that's also the same conversation that the enlightened philosophers were having. Individualism is being born from this idea. It's a very powerful idea, a very, very, very powerful idea. People could commune with God without the need for a priest. That's a different kind of Christianity from the one that was kicked off in the first century, right? And it led to all kinds of other conclusions about life. And first among these other conclusions was that an individual could also be an individual fully, a true Christian without the sacrifice. Whoa. Let me say it again. They could be a Christian without the sacrifice. Hmm, two things at once in that word. 
First, if you look at the modern day Christianity and say, America, well, the communion is not exactly at the center of the worship. There's no sacrifice for many Christians today. Think Joel Olstein. Wait, wait, but is he a Christian? Let's just go with it. I mean, I'm not really sure, but for sure he's using the Bible up there and a lot, and he sure has a lot of people calling out Jesus' name. But anyway, for sure he doesn't serve communion, or if he does, it's like on a special day when it's not on TV or something. It's not like at the center, right? The communion, the sacrifice, not at the center of Joel's activities. And there's a lot of preachers like Joel. Let's not say any more about Joel. Anyway, if you look, even in mainline Protestant churches today, communion is seen as a sort of symbol of sharing things together, a way to symbolize unity. That's why you can go into most Protestant churches and they'll give you communion because they want you to be like feeling at home. The actual body and blood of Christ, eh, that's again a little weird. Let's not think too hard about that because that is it though. Right, Modern Christianity is asking these questions. Sorry to ask them on the pod, but I'm sorry. It's in everybody's head anyway when they go to church, if they do. So look, not for, right. There are some Protestants who, who get it in the old way. They're old liggers because they're using the lig of the ancient Christians to say, yeah, this is both and at the same time. That is the body and blood of Christ. Welcome to that experience. But it's also bread. There are Christians like that, there's plenty of them, but there's a whole bunch of others that just look at it as a symbol. It's like a way to be in a community. It's dinner shared by people. But is it a sacrifice? Like, is it the sacrifice? And the answer really is no for most modern Christians. And not because I just said so, but because you can see it. You see the actual proof that it's not the sacrifice, and it's in the fact that there are no priests. There's no sacrificer necessary. There's no need for the sacrificer because, let's be honest, it's not really a sacrifice anymore. We can all do it. It's just a thing, man. But here's the good news. Well, I don't know if it's uh, good, you can decide whether it's good. But here's some news. The notion of the priesthood of believers is actually a notion well understood by the ancient Christians. It was never put away. They knew and incorporated this idea in all of their theology. They knew that every human being resides in the boundary between down and up, between dark and light. They knew that we all live somewhere on earth and in heaven at the same time. We are always living in this boundary between being and non-being. Ancient Christians, like so many ancient people, well, they knew that every human being was both God and man. And in that way, all human beings are priests, for sure. We humans sit on the window ledge. In fact, we are the window through which the light of divinity passes into the world. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. And our job, the job of every God-man, well, is to be as translucent as possible. Let me say that again. It is to be as translucent as possible. We are meant to let 
the light pass through into the world. We are meant in some ways, I like this idea, to be thin. We are meant to be light. Or better yet, so translucent that that which is passes through us and into the world, the fallen world in which we live. Now, it's starting to get sermony. Is there a sermon sound, Andrew, you could put in here? I don't know. What's the sound of a sermon? Well, maybe it's Charlie Brown. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I think that's the sound. Yeah, it's beginning to be a little sermony. But what I'm trying to really get across is this was a real thing. This is how people thought. And that thought itself changes culture, man. That, that thought itself repeated over and over again into the lives of children, you carry that around with you. And though I believe it to be true, whether it's true or not, it becomes a part of culture. And that's what this show is trying to explain. And so that's what a priest is. But not all priests are priests. Even if all humans are priests, see, it's going to get a little paradoxical. Even if all humans are priests, not all priests are priests. See, the priest concept that this pod, this episode 30 is talking about, that concept is forever married to the notion of the sacrifice. Priests are the sacrificers of the holy things. And that super Jewish and super old world idea and super Christian idea is not a super new world idea. Let me end with a funny story. It's a Bible story. I know. But it's got a twist. The twist is not mine. It's a priest's twist, ironically. It was told to me by a priest who I admired still to this day very much, but he has died. His name was Father Thomas Hopko. And here's his story. It's the one he told me and my wife, who at the time was just a woman I knew, who I took to go see this priest speak. There's a hot date, huh? It was like 25 years ago. Here's the story he told. There was a father, and he had two sons. And one of his sons was wild. Oh, it's the prodigal son story. If you know it already, bear with us. But watch what happens. There's a twist. The prodigal son. Yeah, that's right. Well, he's unruly. And you can kind of say he has ADHD. And you can kind of say he's rude. I don't know if he's spoiled. But he definitely wants what he wants. And what he wants in the story is his inheritance. He wants the cash money that allow him to go and be the person he really wants to be. He's like all of us. He's an American consumer. I want what I want, and I want it now. And his father gives it to him. And in the story as told by Father Hopko, he goes out, and you know how it goes. I mean, if you don't, it's pretty self-explanatory. He gets wild. He loses his money. He falls in with some ladies. He gets robbed. He gets hit in the head, and he ends up working at a pig pen. Now, the pig pen is a really important part of the story because he's a Jew in the story, and you don't really want to work with pigs if you've been raised a nice Jewish boy. But he is. He's not just working with him. He's actually living in the pig pen. It's like his pad. And he's sleeping in the mud. And one day, as Father Hopko tells the story, he imagines, Father Hopko, he imagines that the uh, prodigal son gets up one morning and says, you know what the problem is? 
And this is the part of the story, the actual story where he goes, I need to go home. But Father Hopko said it like this. He wakes up on this particular Tuesday and he says, you know what I really need? I really need to get out of the mud because it's wet and it's really eroding and degrading my skin. And it's making myself and me closer to death. And I want to fix that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay some boards down and I'm going to sleep on the boards tonight. Nice job. Smart move. Then he adds a wall. Then he adds a beautiful roof. And then he adds windows. And he keeps building his house and eventually gets some curtains because, you know, that sun can be kind of bright. And pretty soon he realizes that he's created a space that's not the pig pen anymore. But, as Father Hopko puts it, is it really not the pig pen? Isn't it kind of still the pig pen? Well, outside he's got his pigs and inside he doesn't. And he goes to work every day and he realizes if he puts up a fence, he barely has to deal with the pigs. And that gives him more time to build another house and maybe even get a pig pen wife. And the story goes on. And at one point, the prodigal son in this retelling by Father Hopko just forgets where he's from. And in fact, even goes so far as to forget he's got a dad and a a brother back at home. And he just lives the rest of his time in in the pig pen. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Father Hopko would say, is us. We just made a super cool pig pen. With a space force to protect the pig pen. It's a very good metaphor for what happened when we all decided at the big enlightenment party that we were all going to have, well, whatever we wanted, and that we are not heaven and earth, we are not light and dark, we are not God and man, we are just animals rooting around and building cooler stuff than the other animals. (laughs) The Enlightenment Party said, stop thinking about going home and fix this pig pen. See, when the idea set in over the last 300 years, we not only built really cool pig pens, but we shut up our windows, put a lot of curtains on there because those windows kept shining that light that kept telling us in the end, we're pretty dependent on it. We wanted to think that we built and live as independent from all of that stuff. We don't have to go home. We stopped even knowing what it is to go home. And see, when you live like that, you don't need a priest because all he's going to do is remind you. It's just going to remind you of where you came from. And that ruins the pig pen party. Yep. Now we just consume stuff to make our pig pens really, really cool. But guess what? We've always done that. That's never really not been the case with humanity. It's just modern humans have made an art form of it. And that's why when you watch protesters on TV, literally, literally, I mean, in every sense, making their politics their God, you realize that they really think 
they're going to fix the pig pen once and for all. Yikes. Shenny's Gagimarjos. That means to you the victory, often said at the Gaby table in Georgia. And that's our pod for today. Thank you for coming along. Wattar was produced by Andrew Short and Daniel Paternos, and our pod is brought to you by the creators of First Things Foundation. That's our nonprofit. We live and work in some of the world's toughest places. We immerse there in order to create momentum for change for local folks who, guess what, tell us the best idea. Yeah. First Things Foundation, check us out. And share Wattar with friends. Hit us up with solid reviews on iTunes and everywhere you get your podcasts. Your love for us allows us to love and serve others. Nakfamdis, hasta luego, kambufo, and I don't know the language of the pig pen. How do you say goodbye in the language of the pig pen? I don't know. I don't want to. Au revoir, that's French. No, I like France. See you next week. When we have a little podcast with a guy named Jonathan Pajot, I highly recommend you tune in. Peace out.